Welcome back to Guardy Lou, the podcast where we tell you stuff you wish you never knew. If I can just spit it out. <laughs> I, can't, I can't talk today. Hi, I'm Joyce. And I'm Lillian. And today we're doing part two on our little two-part series on cults. And last week we talked about the Ant Hill Kids, which for some reason I keep wanting to call the Apple Dumpling Gang, and I'm like, that's not it. No, they're very far from that gang. Yeah, totally uh, different. And um, this week we're going to talk about the cult Synanon. Just so. good. I don't know very much about them. I've heard the name before, but I don't know a whole lot about them. It's been kind of a weird um, trying to figure out how to pronounce it because I I saw some people saying Cyanon. And, um, but then I, I read a book, well, I listened to the audio book by, um, Mikel Jolet and he was actually a child that was in the cult for a while and he pronounced it Synanon. So I figured he would know. I think I've heard the Synanon more than Synanon. Yeah. He, he wrote the book Hollywood Park. It's a memoir. It's really good. I'm only halfway through, but it's, uh, it's pretty good. It talks about the cult a little bit it's mostly about his life when because he left the cult at age five so um there's a lot of stuff thrown in there from his mom and different things but it can be a little triggering if you grew up in a family with alcoholism or drug use he talks a lot about going to alateen which is something i did as a child um a teenager and um you know stuff like that so a little bit of caution there, I guess, if you're feeling vulnerable about those kind of things or might be triggered or something. But it's a really good book. I I was thinking today they should turn this into a movie. I'd make a good movie. <laughs> what was the name of it? Um, Hollywood Park. I got it through the library. So, um, but if anyone wants to read it or listen to it. Um, so, Synanon is... Um, it's a cult that started as like a rehab place. And um, the guy that started it was named Charles Diedrich. And he was an alcoholic who went to AA. And he liked it. But he had some issues with it, I guess, and decided to kind of go out on his own. So, so it was an alcohol, alcohol and drug rehabilitation or just alcohol? Um, I think it started out as alcohol, then it became like an alcohol and drug, and then I think he kind of veered off to more drug people who had been on drugs. They, he, they called each other like dope fiends, so um, they kind of went off more into that area. But it was like a, you know, he was well-versed in the 12-step program and the slogans in AA, like, easy does it you know, what are, what are the one other, one day at a time, one day at a time, you know, all those things. So that was kind of incorporated. Um, but anyway, I should probably do a little backstory on him before I get into it too much. So he, um, oh, I thought this was interesting too. Like before they, they started the actual Synanon, they had a, um, they had a, they started as a group called Tender Loving Care. So he he was um, 
you know, he had this group and then later on he decided he wanted to grow it into something else. But when they decided to call it synonym, some people said it was the first part of the word sin means togetherness. And the second part, anon, means anonymous. So it was like together, anonymous, synon, synonym. Oh, okay. Right? And supposedly, like, that's one That's one story. The other story is that one of his um, followers was, like, you know, on drugs or whatever and was slurring. And he combined, like, symposium and some other word maybe it was anonymous or something together and it came out synon synonym synonym i keep wanting to say cinnamon <laughs> so i just thought that was like a interesting little yeah. thing about how it got named and i don't know which part which one's true and there was like another version of that story where this person slurred two different words together and it and when he said it it sounded like synonym so then that's what what it became Diedrich decided to name it yeah <clears throat> So he grew up in a family that where the dad had alcohol problems and he, I guess, got in a car accident and died. And then his mom was like a concert pianist and she sort of made him the uh, man of the house. Yeah, I'm like, what is the word? Man, man of the house. And but then later on, she got remarried and she married someone that he hated a lot and then he started drinking like you know teenager and um became an alcoholic so he ended up um going to aa i think before that he got married and then alcohol was a problem um he went to college went to a pretty good college too i can't remember which one i want to say georgetown but i might be wrong um and dropped out you know the alcohol just kind of really messed up his life took it over probably yeah i mean we've all got stories of of knowing people that struggled with alcohol or drugs and had everything kind of go wrong in their lives um so he went to aa that that helped for a while and then he kind of it wasn't enough so he he decided he was gonna do his own thing um I guess he took some LSD too, and that sort of informed his decision to that you know he got this enlightenment or something that he was gonna do something better. Um, so he started this group called Tender Loving Care, and it was like he rented some place for like thirty dollars a month or something. It was cheap, and they started it, and it was a really small group. Um, and so let me see. I'm looking at, there's a lawyer called, named Paul Morantz, who is in this story later on, but he has a website where he pretty much documented his experience and the history of the cult and everything. And was he, did he become a member? Was he a member of the no, cult? No, I think actually with him, he what happened, lawyer? well, he wasn't their lawyer. There was a woman like walking on a beach one day and she got recruited into the cult and um, I think they kind of just said, like, come back with us and meet some people kind of thing. And so she went, and she just never came home. And her husband got worried and tracked her down, but the cult people wouldn't let him see her. And so he got really worried and, like, 
contacted a lawyer eventually and the lawyer was Paul Morantz and I guess I guess Paul Morantz had had some success in the past helping family members get their loved ones out of various cults and things and so he the husband contacted him and then he started you know working on it um I'll probably get some more details later but he um the cult didn't like this, so they ended up putting a rattlesnake in his mailbox. Oh, my gosh. So the lawyer, it was like a package, and then so Paul Morant's the lawyer. He went to get his mail. I think he was watching, like, a football game or something, and it was intermission or halftime oh, or whatever. probably in a hurry to Ran get it out. out. He got his mail, brought it in, whatever, and um, there was a package, and I think he went back to football, and then later he went to open it, and he heard something moving and thought it was strange. And when he opened the package, the rattlesnake came, like, was mad, you know, had been in the mail and bit him. And he knew right away it was Synanon. And he, they said that the snake, like, got out of the package and was in his house. And he was, like, running to the neighbor's house to get help. Um, and they called 911 or whatever. And, they, the, so that's how the police kind of started investigating this cult more because they were kind of under the radar a little bit mm-hmm. before that. But, yeah, so he <laughs> he was pretty mad, I think. Paul oh, Morant's yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> kind of lit a fire under him. Well, that's a good, uh, you know, I don't know. It's a good way when you start messing with the mail, that's under the, the government jurisdiction right. and you're not supposed to mess with the mail and he was lucky because the neighbor had happened to see somebody put something in his mailbox because it didn't actually get mailed they drove by and put it in the put mailbox in and they got the license plate of the car and ah. then it got tracked back to the group and everything yeah yeah so they were trying to send him a warning like don't you know bother us with your lawsuits and stuff we will kill you, <laughs> yeah. basically. Um, but he's kind of broken it down into three sections, like Synanon 1, which is the drug rehab, which I think is kind of um, the part that where the cult starts off as trying to do something good and seems like it's good before it turns bad. Um, yeah, the good intentions. Yeah. So... He also had an eight-year-old brother who died of influenza when he was a kid, and he felt really guilty and responsible because at the time he was the man of the house, you know. Oh. Um, And they say, like, from then on, he just never wanted to be close to children again, which comes into play later on in the cult because um, it started off where they had... Is this the lawyer you're talking about now? Oh, no, or you're the I'm talking leader? about Diedrich, the leader, okay. yeah. He had a son that, or a, a brother, brother that died. Does. I probably should just stick to the history and then move from there, but, um, uh, yeah, he, oh, it was Notre Dame College that he flunked out of, you know, he got divorced because of his drinking, he went into AA, and he was um, really popular in AA because he was such a good orator. Like, they said that people would just sit around and listen to him talk for hours. Mm-hmm. They just really liked listening to him. Um, and then at some point, he had a bout of paranoia, and he went into his room, and he wouldn't come out. And he read Emerson's Self-Reliance, and that kind of became his Bible, 
that you should, you know, the whole like you're gonna save yourself kind of thing, I guess, pull yourself up Self-help. the bootstraps, self reliance, like you'd rely on yourself, I guess. Yeah. Um, so he rented this little storefront in Venice, California, um, and it was named Tender Loving Care. And the big part of it was that the treatment was you would get into these groups, like a circle, and they played something he called the game. And this is where you would they would have to call each other out for all their mistakes and bad things that they've done. And you had to admit all your bad things that you did. So it's kind of like one of the steps in AA where you um, make amends. Make amends, except there was no amends part. It was just the saying all the stuff that you did. And people in the group would just say, you know, they called it almost like attack therapy where they just, every shortcoming you have, they just say it to your face. And sometimes they even lie and just make up stuff. Because I think later on when it became more of a cult, they would get in trouble if they didn't say enough bad stuff. Yeah. (laughs) But then the rest of the time you had to be very polite and kind to each other and they had a no violence policy you had to treat people with respect. It was just in these, when you got into this group. When you played the game. And it was part of like tearing you down to build you back up kind of philosophy. Like if you face all of your shortcomings, then you can build up from there, become a better person. I don't know if that really works that way. <laughs> no, because I don't think it does. I think if you, you, you have to admit to yourself you have a shortcoming. Somebody telling you you have a shortcoming usually puts your defenses up. But if you think of it, yeah. like, oh, I really shouldn't think that, you might work on not right. being that way. Or, But then, like, you might not even realize, or they, if they lie, like, it, but you don't know if it's a lie. And you just think that's what these people think about that me. That could be that bad. That could be really hard. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> they called it the game, I guess, because you could if you're getting attacked, you could turn the tables on that person and attack them back. So it's like a game. Um, They, they kind of lived in this storefront. They didn't have any money. So they would beg for stale food from catering trucks. And there was hookers that, you know, did tricks and to take a shower, they had a hose that ran through a window. Um, So first it started off just alcoholics and the drug users started coming and the alcoholics objected because they just wanted to have just alcohol, alcoholics. But Diedrich decided that that wasn't really a good, wasn't fair because alcoholics already had AA they could go to. Yeah. And there really wasn't anything for drug addicts at the time. Which I've actually heard stuff about that too. They had to start Narcotics Anonymous or whatever yeah. because it's... It's different, I guess. Yeah, they didn't like the cross-addiction type thing. And um, so this is where they started. Oh, it was symposium and seminar that they think someone slurred together to, to turn into Synanon, which I'm not really sure that would no. like blend together. I think the other idea makes more sense, but who knows. Um, let me see... Okay, so when the drug addicts started coming, Dietrich had this um, philosophy that you shouldn't get any medical help, so they would just have to cut 
go cold turkey on the drugs, like cut them out. And so they would have to go through that whole process of, you know, where people get really sick. Yeah. Which they said was very dangerous. I guess nowadays they don't really think that's a good way to do it because people die sometimes going through withdrawal. Mm Um, so, um, he got people to stay even though like they didn't want the drug addicts. They only wanted the alcoholics. They started doing the same thing again. The same, you know, the game and everything. So now you have your alcoholics and your narcoholics or whatever they are. Yeah. The, the drug, drug, druggies, they're playing the game together. Yeah. Um, let's see. So Diedrich preached this idea of act as if, which you hear nowadays, like act as if you're. Um, whatever it is you want to be, rich, successful, whatever. Act like you're really confident even though you're not. Yeah, but he kind of twisted it. He wanted it, he meant for it to be that, um, that people should just do what he told them to do and act as if it's right. Oh, so no matter how, what they (laughs) thought. So if you disagreed with them, you just act as if you didn't. Yeah. Right? And like do the, whatever it was that he wanted. Um, so he ended up moving them to this other area, but people were getting like, not happy about it. He got this national guard building that was on the beach in Santa Monica. It was empty. So he, um, rented it. And I think at this time they had started doing some businessy stuff too, where they were, um, He's created a business where they would sell things for marketing that, like, you know how businesses give you a pen that has, like, their name on it? Yeah. Stuff like that. So they were kind of starting up this business and starting to make a little bit more money doing that. And all the people that worked for Synanon did not get paid. So it was free labor. So all the money they made was prof- all profit. Profit for him, probably. Yeah. Lived the high They life. were volunteers because it was, <laughs> it was a nonprofit at this point. Um, so he, they get this national guard. Well, if, if, if they have the, the, the blessing of being a church, they're not a church yet. So they don't have that. They yeah, don't fall not, under that. They religious... do eventually get there. Yeah. So first they start off as like a nonprofit rehab center, which is kind of where they are now. Um, so he goes to move, they move to the national guard, but the neighbors aren't too thrilled about it. Cause they're imagining a bunch of drug and alcohol mm-hmm. users roaming around the neighborhood and everything. And so people started looking into it and they were saying he doesn't have a health license. So he can't really be practicing, which was true. Like, cause he's doing like a medical intervention on or psychological, I don't know what you want to call it, but intervention on people. Um, so then they started trying to get, the medical board and everybody involved and um, the medical board was supposed to establish some rules for them. Oh, before that, he did get arrested in Santa Monica for operating without a health license. But instead of it hurting him, it made people like him even more because they were like, oh, he's so, um, his convictions are so strong because he just said, yeah, I'm guilty and they put him in jail or whatever. And even, like, the governor and, like, some celebrities sort of came to his defense because people were actually, stop, you know, they stopped doing drugs. They weren't doing drugs or or drinking alcohol like it was working. And Or it appeared to be working. It appeared to be working, <laughs> right. And um, 
it kind of got a little bit famous there. Like they, I, I read that um, Leonard Nimoy like donated money to him to help his thing, and I think he joined the group. They would come in because he had started opening it up a little bit to the community and other people. After a while, to come in, they didn't. Ha- you didn't have to be a drug or alcohol de- dependent person. You could just be anybody and join and come in and do the game. Okay. Because some people had other issues they wanted to work on. But some of these famous people started, you know, got their attention and they donated money and things like that. And so um, the governor sort of gave them like a pass so they didn't have to have all those health the licenses, uh, licenses and, and everything. And yeah. Um, so if you were a drug or alcohol addict or something you would you would be in this group and you probably didn't have a whole lot so you were just kind of a group member but if you were like a professional or someone else in the community who wanted to join the group you could but you had to transfer your assets over to the organization so they had some celebrity people that I think they let come in and go out because it helped with publicity but if you're just like Maybe you own the car dealership or something in town. You could join, but you'd have to give transfer all your assets over. So, like, if you died, they would the group they would, would own get it. your stuff. Yeah. And I guess if you if you did have a bad drug or alcohol problem and you thought you were going to lose everything anyway, but you could go there and be cured, right? That could it be, would be worth it. it. Would be worth it. Yeah. And people talked about that, like that it. There's a website called Synanon.com, which I went to, and it has all these different stories that people who are in the cult have written, and you can tell they're reminiscing with each other, um, they're sharing stories. It wasn't a, they don't have bad feelings about it, like in the beginning especially. Um, they do say like it was a cult and it turned bad, but... There, it was it helped good. Them. And a lot of them said, I stopped doing drugs. I stopped drinking alcohol and I haven't done it again. And I it, have a it good life. Saved now. my life. Because this one guy or woman, I forgot, they wrote a little, there's like different little stories that they write, but they, there was an interview. I think it was a woman, but she, or might not have been, but they said, um, yes, it was a cult and yes, it did a lot of good. She, they were like, it's not one or the other, it's both. Yeah. But I thought that was kind of interesting, too, because it's, you know, it did work for people. But then it just started going bad. Um, He kind of, Diedrich decided, the cult leader, decided that he didn't think this was good enough. Um, He had the game, which was this therapeutic tool, and people would humiliate each other and, like, um, pick at everybody's weaknesses um, and all of that, but he decided it needed to go further because at that point people could graduate. You'd go through the two-year program and you would graduate and you'd be done. You'd move on with your life, right? He decided that he wanted it to be once you were in, you were in, you couldn't leave because he said addicts are not, are like children. They can't behave like adults they're never going to be cured so they have to stay here 
for their whole lives basically to actually stay off drugs or alcohol yeah it's a lifelong problem um, so so if they if they had if they joined and they gave up you know they they signed over their car dealership was that must have been was that before he decided this or after? that was before and then when they left after two years did they get their car dealership back or did they lose that forever i don't think you got it back but i think it was also like if you died they got it like you had oh, okay. to sign it over or something but i'm not 100 percent sure and that and the timeline could be off a little bit in my head you know i might be getting yeah, it wrong yeah. it could have been more after but um so he didn't want people graduating and leaving the program the other scary thing about this is like because it got all that publicity and everything people started um looking at this model and using it for um, kids so people would send their kids there thinking like they would go for two years but then this change happened and they couldn't leave they wouldn't let them leave they wouldn't let them leave yeah Um, and they also say that this model word of the game and all of that is kind of what a lot of um, rehabilitation centers have been based on since then especially for kids because they had all those teen like camps for kids who Mm -hmm. couldn't behave i think paris hilton went to one and they were a lot of abuse took place yeah and um the whole tough love kind of thing you know was popular and they say it all stems from this group from the synanon group so kind of scary (laughs) It's kind of scary, too, that there's stuff like this still happening, like that are um, they've become accepted as a treatment, even though none of this was based in any kind of science or anything like that. Right. That it really works. It's not evidence based at all, but it's still used as if it were evidence based, I guess. And I can see where they keep them in there by. I'm sure they they're like, well, you know, if you if you leave this group, you're gonna start drinking again. There's, you're, it's guaranteed. You you know, you'll probably end up dying. Yeah, so you, you might as well drink just stay here, or you'll start yeah. doing the drugs. So just stay here, and then at least you'll you'll have be a decent yeah. life. Yeah. So um, they started really focusing on their business and spreading it out um i read a story on the synanon.com where this guy was hired to kind of go in and and um build up the business and he had no business experience at all he said he didn't know what an invoice was none of that but he was sent in and he did it he he got more managers and um he said he had to get get a budget approval which was really hard because he said Synanon was always real tight with the money <laughs> and everything but they ended up you know they they got that business going and it ended up um where they were making like 10 million dollars a year in revenue and they also had like gas stations pottery making apartment buildings um and other income revenue that they were using and they didn't have to pay taxes because they were a nonprofit and they didn't have to pay their workers because they were volunteers. Yeah. Um, I guess Diedrich also bought and sold real estate to make money. So that was from, um, 
let me see. That period was from 1958 to 1966, and then 1967 to 1973 is when the business took off, and Diedrich decided he was they needed people needed to stay, and so he bought this club called um, or he bought the club Casa del Mar, which was a large beachside hotel in Santa Monica. During World War II, it had been used as military headquarters. And so that became the center and dormitory for the drug treatment and the business operations. Um, I guess that caused like a bunch of trouble too. The city claimed it owned the beachfront and, um, you know, the police came to try to take them off the beach with the paddy wagons and all that because they had all these people were protesting that it was going in there. Um, so Diedrich appeared at a press conference and declared the city had fallen into the hands of mad dogs and Synanon would sue them all. Santa Monica surrendered eventually and Synanon basically became untouchable. So the Synanon people protested so much, the police were going to have to like hurt them or, you know, whatever. And the city thought probably thought it was bad optics, so they just let them stay. They just left it. And kind of ignored them because <laughs> they weren't obeying zoning rules and you know different things well it becomes an expense too if you keep trying to fight them in court even yeah it just gets it's and then it's you know it looks bad because they're just trying to help people and yeah yeah, yeah and, and when they fall under that nonprofit, and probably maybe by that time he had the church going i don't know but not yeah, but he's that. getting in there. Yeah, it's, they have different rules, rules, right? Like we talked about in our last episode, you, they can get away with more when it's a religion because you yeah. just say, "Well, you're hurting my religious freedoms," which yeah. is like in the Constitution. Um, they also bought a building in Oakland, California, and transformed it into a residential facility for its members. And at both places, they allowed outsiders to come in and attend the game. Um, and then this is when they started having baby, you know, there was babies happening, right? Cause mm-hmm. the members are all there and it's getting to be a big group. And, um, he didn't, he felt like the kids were kind of like a distraction or whatever. And they say it goes back to when his brother died and he didn't really want to be attached to any kids or around kids too much. So they created the hatchery, which is where mothers had to put their babies it was like an orphanage, basically, for the babies. They were raised by um, Synanon members who were given that job to be the ba- baby caretakers or whatever. Um, and if you wanted to see your kids, they really kind of discouraged it and looked down on you, and everybody would sort of call you names and stuff like that because you weren't supposed to want to see your kids, your babies or whatever. Um, they called those people head suckers, the ones that wanted to see their kids. So um, once the children kind of graduated out of the hatchery, they were put into the Synanon school, which is where they like they lived and um, were brought up by te- their like teachers, which were Synanon members. Basically. Yeah. Um, in his book, Hollywood Park. Mikkel Jolet talks about that because he was five when his mom took him out of the 
cult in the middle of the night and they ran off or whatever, him and his brother. But, you know, he said he didn't remember his parents really that much. Like, he knew that they were called, there was this woman that would visit once in a while named that he was supposed to call mom. And then their dad would come once in a while on his motorcycle and visit. But he didn't really know what mom and dad meant. He knew it was supposed to mean something to some people, like about families, but he Mm -hmm. didn't really know. And he had this one caretaker um, in the school or whatever that he was very attached to because she always took care of him. Yeah, she was like his mom. Yeah, she was more like his mom. He was there with his brother. Was his brother... His brother was older and kind of in like a different section, so they didn't really... They weren't close. They didn't know. Yeah, he said he knew it was his brother, and he would go and sit next to him sometimes, but his brother was always kind of grumpy and didn't really want anything to do with him that much. And he kind of hinted to that he figured his brother was older, so he might have known more about what was going on. He had a... He might have had a little had bit of a memories. previous life. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's a really good story because his mom takes him out in the night and they escape and everything. And then they go on to have really hard lives <laughs> still. like yeah. Because, you know, all the people in there were alcohol alcoholics or drug addicts. So all those struggles that they had continue on top of (laughs) or they were often like spouses of alcoholics or drug addicts because a lot of people went in married yeah um so about this time too with the kids going into school and everything um he also changed things around where wait i don't know if this happened yet hold on okay Let me just go on with this. He instituted a containment law or whatever, which made people not be able to have contact with people from the outside. So they got more cut off and isolated. Um, They were only allowed to participate with other Synanon members. And I think, like, the business people were allowed more freedom with that because they had to interact outside of Synanon to sell their products and everything they brought in the money at some point he decided he wanted to experiment more with lsd and i think that gave him the idea to recruit more people that were not addicts probably because they got more money you know (laughs) um so he created this thing called the trip which was a combination of group psychotherapy, coercive persuasion, mysticism, and old-fashioned spiritual revival. So basically, he took this, the, the, the premise is to get you off drugs and alcohol, but then he brings these people who aren't on any drugs or alcohol and yeah. puts them on drugs. Right, or I don't know I if know he let them take but... LSD or he just took it. I can't, couldn't really tell, but I bet he might have just been him because then he would get these great ideas. Oh, these visions. Yeah. From God, probably. Um, <laughs> So the program would basically make sure the person had an emotional breakdown and then they'd have a big group euphoria experience, you know, and, and, um, like dancing or something probably. And then they would try to reeducate them into the synonym philosophy and lifestyle. Um, and it was kind of like, 
this honor that they would try to get people you know the non-addicts or whatever they'd kind of persuade them by like you're going to be this higher up in the yeah, organization the, you don't yeah take drugs or anything and i read like for the game they would um they eventually would start doing this thing where they'd wake them up in the middle of the night and have to play the game and sometimes it would go on for 36 to 72 hours. Wow. So when it first started, it would just be an hour, kind of like a therapy, like a group therapy session. But then as it progressed, it became more intense. So people weren't sleeping. Then they'd have to do this mean, nasty name calling and horrible thing. And then afterwards, they'd have like a party, you know, and then everybody was supposed to get along. Hmm. Yeah. Um, let me see. Another type of brainwashing. Yeah, apparently, I forgot this too, but he coined the phrase, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Oh, he started that? Yeah, he's the one that coined that phrase. That's what he's, it's attributed to him, hmm. which is still used yeah. fairly regularly. I hear it all the time. Um, so Dietrich said, and this is a quote, at the end of this rainbow, there will be a pot of gold. Through dissipation or, or long hours of activity without very much sleep, we hope to bring you about in you, bring about in you a conscious state of inebriation. We want to get you loaded without acid. Yeah, sleep depra- deprivation. Yeah. You will learn more about yourself, your fellow man, the world, the nature of reality in one weekend than you would in four years. Let your ego go. Let things happen to you. It's a feeling of closeness to each other we are after, the death of the ego, a reference point for the rest of your life. You may change your value system, notions about life, and viewpoints about people. It will produce a new breed of human beings with greatly expanded potentials. If you do your best, you can't fail. Mm-hmm. And this is from um, Paul Morantz's website. And... It's under the history of Synanon and Charles Diedrich that he wrote. So I think some of this, some of these quotes might have come from like a court case or something. I don't know. Let's see. So a lot of those people would become guides, like the non-addicts that he brought in and trained through all this process and everything, um, probably to help bring in more people. And I wonder what would the be the motivation of them staying in i guess because he's sort of well one he's saying you're gonna have some power two they're gonna be um going through this whole mystical experience where they're gonna see the world in a different way you know all that stuff he just said Hmm. there's a lot of people you know i think of myself included you're like you're seeking something like a spiritual experience of some kind you're seeking that out and he's offering it to them like here if you do these things you'll be there this is what will happen yeah I mean that's the impression that I get so I can see the other people when they say you know it wasn't there was good that came out of it because they did get out the drugs and the alcohol yeah and they I think like they had the community which where they made lifelong friendships. I yeah. read that quite a few times on the Synanon 
com website. Yeah. You know, these people, they went through something together that was hard. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not the cult stuff so much, but just staying off drugs and they had each other's mm-hmm. back kind of thing and helped each other. Um, I just want to check if there's something else in here. Um, okay, so all this is going on. Um, there is some point, and I'm not sure when, where they sort of institute a, uni- a uniform where you have to shave your head. Mm-hmm. So, and they had to wear overalls. So they that's all they they had to shave their head, and they had to wear overalls. They didn't wear any other clothes. Um, and I've heard about people talking about living near there and you know these people would come into town riding bicycles and they're all bald all the women um and in overalls <laughs> so it must have been really strange to see that the individuality yeah it was taken just away wiped from out them. yeah um it's supposed to take away your vanity your ego all of that especially for women because so much is wrapped up in their hair mm-hmm. um so then Phase three begins, which I guess is when he decides that they need to become a church. And I think it has to do with the governments and, you know, paying attention a little bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is what happens. So they, people are sending their kids there. Um, they're getting court ordered to go there. The judge is like, you're out of control, kid. You're going to this camp. Or this, you're going to sin and on or whatever. This is when, so he's, the kids start going, they don't want to be there. Some of them try to escape, you know. These are, these are kids, troubled kids, right? They're used to acting out, whatever. Yeah. You know. Um, so he, um, what's his name? Diedrich decides that he's going to be a little bit more militaristic with them. And he forms something called the Punk Squad which becomes um, people that are allowed to do violence. So the kids were struck across the face, knocked down. They were punished. They had to go through the game, too, so they're all being mean to each other mm-hmm. in this in the circle. Um, and then that made the kids want to leave even more and some made some of the other people want to leave, and they started calling them split teas. They split the ones so split that wanted teas. to leave. Yeah. Or did they? Did they have a many successful escapes? Or <laughs> I think so, because I read that there was some people in the community that had sort of an underground railroad going on with the kids to get them out of there and back to their parents, like smuggling them out. I wonder if these parents wanted to pull them out after. Did they I'm know sure about some what was did going and on? some didn't. Um, during, while they were in there, he had, uh, they had to do aerobics, running, diets, no smoking. Um, well, that all sounds good to a parent. Right. Um, let me see. Yeah, I think it was like heavy on the discipline because it kind of became the model for a lot of those other, like we were saying earlier, the the other camps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's. So they, they had to shave their heads. They had to wear the overalls. Um, let me see. So in the meantime, the 
Sinanon had started building like unpermitted um, buildings. They had a trash dump. They built an airstrip. All this stuff without any permits or permission or anything like that. Um, And so about in 1974, the authorities started getting a little bit more involved and go, you know, like what's going on over there? You know, they have all these new buildings. They're doing all this stuff. Um, and this is when the lawyer, Paul Morantz, got involved a little bit too. And he brought attention to it, to the fact that they had unauthorized medical clinics. Um, they didn't have a license to do a lot of the treatments that they were offering. They probably had like a real medical clinic, I would imagine, like fake doctors for real, you know. Not just for, like, your addiction, but... um, For anything else you might have. Yeah. Broken Um, fingers. So all of this stuff was happening, and then people started questioning, like, whether or not they should be tax-exempt because, like, they are breaking a lot of rules. They were doing things that nonprofits aren't supposed to do. And um, this is when Diedrich decided they were going to become the Church of Synanon. Because then they could still get the tax breaks. Yeah. Instead and then of, they don't, their laws, they fall under different laws. So it says that a religion doesn't have to answer a lot of the questions that they have because they can just say it's their religion, you know? Yeah. At this time, too, Diedrich decided he didn't want to have any more children there. So he started forcing the men to get vasectomies. And that if a woman got pregnant, she had to have an abortion. So he didn't want any more kids. Hmm. Which is kind of weird, too. He said they were too distracting and, like, taking away from their mission. Well, if he's got all these people that are working for free. I think I've seen a documentary on them. It sounds familiar. So the the men had to get vasectomies performed by Sinanon doctors. I wonder about that, too. Like, were they actual doctors? Diedrich claimed that um, childbirth was no more than squeezing out a football. <laughs> yeah. So Diedrich had a, another wife. I think he got divorced twice, and then his third wife, um, he married. Her name was Betty, and she was, like, really important to him. And once she died, he sort of went off the deep end. So she died in 1977, I think. Um, excuse me. And he was in so much pain that he decided instead of letting other people go through the pain of a divorce or a death of their spouse, that he was going to make all the couples divorce every three years and get new partners and he would match them up. So if you were already married, you had to get divorced and then you'd get a new spouse of his choosing. And no children. And no children. The vasectomies and the abortions like ensured that they didn't have any kids. Um, at this time, too, he started um, having Marines. He called them his Marines, which was kind of like his little military or police force or whatever to go and um, keep people in line because I guess at this time people started going this is nuts I'm out of here <laughs> you know I want to yeah. leave um, and so if people left 
they would go after them and beat them up and stuff and bring them back if they could so they weren't allowed to leave there was like during this time there was a case there was a guy named i think his name was phil and i think it was mentioned in that book i read too the memoir um that might have been the same person because it sounded like it but they just beat him up and he ended up with like meningitis because his brain was inflamed you know Mm -hmm. they beat him up so bad his brain inflamed and that became more out in the open like the um his wife or somebody maybe not his wife i think he escaped with his daughter and he was trying to keep her safe so i don't know if he's still his wife was still in in synanon or not but somebody like brought it to the attention of the authorities and said that it was synanon and everything um so they're just starting to get more like bad bad press press yeah so this is in the late 1970s. Yeah, this is like 1977, I think. So that evolved to into like public beatings of people in the group. They had a, a slogan, um, don't fuck with Synanon. They had, you know, getting enemies on missions that went coast to coast. Members were taught that if caught on a violent mission to go to jail and not blame Synanon. So he'd send them out to beat these people up that the splitties or whatever i guess and then um but they if they got caught they weren't supposed to rat 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 them yeah. out you know like not say they were partisan and on um so this is where they started getting to be where more of a bad cult a cult yeah, yeah. more of uh they thought they could get away with anything they're that powerful yeah and, and it's hard because or like he's that powerful. they had the government in their pockets a little bit already you know and mm-hmm. um people are kind of looking the other way and then they get then they get the religious status um synanon members bought stock in abc and attended stockholder meetings and tried to use that to get you know influence i guess on what was portrayed in the media probably um and I think this says that some of the people tried to get help throughout that way to get their wives out of the cult. Um, oh, so they bought stock in the ABC network. Yeah. Well, you look at what Influence. goes on now. Like, yeah. what's the guy that owns Amazon owns um, the Washington yeah. Post? Is it Washington I don't Post? know what he owns. I know well, they... That's the big news, the big Washington. I think it's Washington Post newspaper. You know, like they're, um, I don't know who owns Fox anymore, but you know, mm-hmm. they have a right wing agenda. Mm-hmm. People say that, you know, the Washington Post has a left wing agenda. So it's like, this is not anything new to try to influence the media mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. When it makes it hard, if somebody tries to escape and they want to go to the press to say, look, you know, this is what's going on, and they go to the one that's, influenced by them anyway they're gonna just say oh no that's not the way it is right um they apparently were like beating children in front of their parents they were attacking teenagers um they called it the holy war so they you know he'd send out his marines to just anybody that disagreed with him um anyone that did something he didn't like he had his thugs that would just beat people up so in 1977 in Santa Monica, the woman that was walking on the beach 
I guess she was having like a pre-psychotic break and um, the husband wanted to get her out of the cult. So he hired uh, Paul Morantz. He issued a Paul Morantz issued a report in March of 1978 um, explaining that Sinanon was, you know, child doing child abuse, um, that the money all went to Diedrich, there was weapons, um, that they were attacking the authorities. But at that time, the authorities still refused to intercede. What would happen is the newspapers and stuff, too, would try to cover the case, and then they would get libel lawsuits from Synanon. And so it got to where the press didn't really want to say too much because they were sick of fighting off all the lawsuits, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is probably something that happens with um, Scientology, too, I can imagine. Yeah. They just bury you in lawsuits. You can't afford to get out. And then there's, like, reports, too, about them infiltrating, like, the sheriff's department. So they got the journalists. They got the sheriff's department that's kind of doing cover for them. There's just so much. Like, I can't even, like, say all of it. (laughs) Well, it's how people become so powerful. Yeah. that That no one can touch them. And it comes gradually, little by little. In 1978, there was, um, Ernestine White was a black grandmother who was trying to get her three grandchildren out. Her daughter died in Sinanon, and the husband had become a splittee, I guess. And the court, Paul Morantz was her lawyer, too, and he got the court to give her custody of the children. But Sinanon wouldn't return them, turn them over to the, to her. So at that point, when the court said you have to give the kids back and they didn't, they used um, 13 police vehicles, surrounded the build, building, and drew their weapons. And the police were like, these kids are coming with us. Eventually, the minors were returned to Mrs. White. So he had like some success there, which helped. Um, other people were like, this guy's getting people out of there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go hire him. He must have had a little bit of say in the police department and with a judge or somebody, too, in order to influence them to get the search or the subpoena, whatever it is that you have to have to take physically take a child out of a home. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, like, because they wouldn't have had any legal rights to those. Synanon had no legal rights to those kids. So. But they didn't have legal rights Anyway, but somebody was but overlooking the, all this. But if the parent was there, they couldn't do anything. But since she had died and the dad, they couldn't find the dad. Yeah. The grandma became the next of kin, I imagine. Probably, So she yeah. had the rights. Um, let me see. Did she get away with getting the kids out? They didn't say that, did they? If she was harassed. I, yeah, I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised because the lawyer was the one that got the Arrested. rattlesnake bite. But um, they might have just let the kid let the kids go, too, just a, since he didn't like kids anyway. He might have been, yeah. oh, well, let's not fight over that guy. Let's you know try to find the dad and get him back here or something more. Right. Since he split. Might have um, got killed if they didn't know where he was. Then there's the story about how they got the snakes like they the synonym marines were caging rattlesnakes during their training and 
um, when Morant's the lawyer was bitten, he had he was hospitalized for eleven days. A Los Angeles dis- district attorney search warrant led to a disgu- discovery of an audio tape, wherein Dietrich bragged of beatings that had occurred. He bragged about the Marine training, and said that one one day, um that everybody would get the message, don't mess with Sinanon, you can get killed, physically dead. And Marenz's name was mentioned in the tape along with the threat, so I guess that's how they knew they had some proof that they had put the snake in his mailbox. His mailbox. Yeah. Hmm, I wonder who recorded that. Yeah, somebody I know, who was, right? was trying to cover themselves a little bit. Um. So before they put the snake in there, Diedrich had tried to escape a warrant for his arrest in Washington, D.C. and had fled to Europe. And when he went to Europe, he started drinking again, started drinking alcohol again. So when the police went to arrest him, after they heard the tape and everything and they had evidence, he they arrested him drunk. Which I guess is like, we're just coming full circle here. Yeah. <laughs> The Department of Justice in the 80s hired Morantz and sociologist Richard Offshee as consultants, and they sued Synanon to remove its tax-free status retroactively for committing a reign of terrorism. So they got brought down. Um, and I think they had to pay back, like, millions of dollars. I think I read that maybe in this one. Let me see. Oh, maybe not. Yeah, because if you, if he made all this money, he had to. I think you have to. If you if you're a nonprofit, you have to show that that profit, the money that you make, goes to a chair. It goes to helping someone. Right, and also like I think, as a nonprofit, you can't behave in. Um, you can't be doing illegal things. No. We're going to lose your status. Yeah. And since they were able to prove that, um, they were able to get get them. That's where the authorities have the problem is, is having to prove, prove it. When all your witnesses of this stuff going on is, if they're a part of this group, they're not going to all, you know, turn, turn on their leaders there. Right. So in 1991, the doors of Synanon finally closed. So it took them a long time to fight. To close like it all down. the, you know, how long court cases can take. <laughs> yes, years and years. Um, they were basically charged because um, even charities are taxed if they commit acts against public policy. So they went against public policy. So they were able to, um, it's almost like, I, you know, Dietrich really didn't get in too much trouble. It mostly just drained them so badly, like financially, that they couldn't function anymore. Yeah, that's how they shut them down. That's how they shut them down. It's like tax evasion. They got him on the... What happened to him then? Well, he... This um, is in 1991? Yeah, it was shut down. Um, There's a few other things here real quick I just want to mention before I get to that, but... um, um, there was a man named Todd Cardinal. Cardinal. He was severely beaten for being an alleged spy. 
He was tied to a post during his honeymoon when he took his bride to show her where he once lived on the Walker Creek Ranch. So I guess they didn't, he didn't like that, so he beat him up for it. And these are, I think these are things that came out during the trial. They also beat a neighboring rancher, Gambanini, who was helping children run away from Sinanon and get them back to their parents. I think I heard about that too. Like there was these families that kind of lived around the compound or whatever, the Sinanon compound that would help, you know, help the kids like feed them and hide them and then try to find their parents. And then I feel like I read that they got a lot of kids out at some point, but I don't remember where I, where I heard that or read it. So they probably did. And they probably, like I said, maybe, you know, he didn't think the kids were productive or, you know, worth having around. He may have let them go and not went after them like they would the adults. So there were a few other lawsuits and different things too that helped bring down the organization. Yeah. Um, and Paul Morantz, the lawyer, was involved in quite a few of them. Um, I'm not going to go over all of them because you get the point, I think. <laughs> Well, it was um, legally shut down. Yeah. So I just want to say that it, it's still considered a success by a lot of people. The whole movement, you know, the rehabilitation for drug addicts and everything. Um, like I said earlier, there's people that still talk about it on the website. If anybody wants to go and check that out. Um, and a lot of other rehabs sort of built their therapeutic interventions on this their treatments yeah on it. it just kind of went ba- downhill well, really bad yeah because the interventions that they have is kind of like his game and i guess when you look at you know if you want to talk about brainwashing and all that aa is you know some people think that's a cult mm-hmm. and a brain and you're being brainwashed so yeah um it's a different, you're learning a different way of thinking about things. Yeah. And you have a lot of rules and stuff you have to follow. So it is kind of interesting when you get into all that. Um, so Diedrich, you know, went on to, he, he got married for the fourth time. He had four wives. Um, he lived until 1997. I think he died in 1997. He had a few strokes in, in there. Um, so it wasn't too long after he got shut down that he died. Yeah, but I'm sure like between 1980, whatever, and 1991 when they got shut down, it was probably pretty rough <laughs> for him, yeah. you know, with all the different lawsuits and things going on. Um, apparently he had several strokes beginning in the late 1980s, but the cause of death was cardiorespiratory respiratory failure. Uh, 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 oh, now we have a cat so. trying to climb up here. Come on, you want to go out? Going to meow into the microphone? Well, I think we ended our last episode with a dog whining. Now this one, we got the cat <laughs> jumping on the computer, rubbing up against the microphones. Yeah. Nacho, you paid. <laughs> Cats, man. They're, they're cute for a reason. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, both of them are. He the... was like trying to knock my microphone over. Yeah. Because he wants to go out. Every time yeah. he wants to go out, he does something that he knows he's, he's so not supposed annoying. to. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I think that about wraps up my my uh, Sinanon story. 
kind of a no, it, long adventure of intrigue. <laughs> it's it's interesting because they all have the same. Um, I don't even know what you call it. The the way they run it, how they deprive people, how they get people to to pretty much be brainwashed. Yeah, you know the diets they have. I've heard that they give them. They eat mostly starchy foods. Yeah, the starch is supposed to do something where you can't think as well. No, no protein. No protein or yeah. very little protein. It's like the Moonies get, have a lot of spaghetti, I read. Yeah, pasta, like, rice. Yeah. Um, not very much protein at all. Yeah, and that's interesting too what it can do to you. Yeah, I think it kind of makes them more like sweet sleepwalking. or. Yeah, and then you, you're exhausted because you don't get enough sleep. Yeah. And then... In this case, you're, like, beaten down by everybody just telling you what a horrible human being you are. Yeah. And then having to tell everybody all your secrets and things you're ashamed of. and Yeah. Uh, and then having them probably taunt you about that later at, at another game that you have to play. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, telling you about the outside world being so dangerous and everything's safe inside. We care about you. We're right. taking care of you. and and everything i mean it's you know they take your kids away i can't that part like i always think i don't think i could handle that how can you be out at that point i think but maybe not i don't know yeah if it if it's a natural course if you think it's the natural everyone else is doing it it's the way it's supposed to be but i don't know that that draw that emotional attachment i mean you have that from your from the day usually born you you become pregnant you start thinking about that child a lot yeah and they then, do that in Scientology, too, where the kids are sent off. Yeah, raised by strangers. Yeah, in like an institutional setting. Yeah. Which I wonder if that uh, produces a bunch of kids with attachment disorder. I mean, it must. Probably. Like attachment disorders. So, I don't know. It's scary. It is. I'm always like, I hope I don't get in a cult. <laughs> <laughs> An accident and just slip into one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always on guard. Well, you don't know. You, you you know, we put ourselves in that situation where I mean, we think about it. How would I would react? Oh, I wouldn't handle it. You know, I wouldn't be able to let them take my kids. But you don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it it there is something to everyone else is doing it. Like the whole this is what the group does, yeah. and then like getting in a cult. You know, your friend invites you to something. Mm-hmm. You respect your friend and yeah. trust their judgment and everything. Next thing you know. And they all seem to have good things happening to entice you in. I mean, yeah. the, the, the togetherness and look, we're all dancing around and singing and we all love each other. And Yeah, it's and, so fun and, it's and fun. nice and like yeah. we're working together. We're making our own food. Everything's cool. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Did you ever want to live on a commune or any of those kind of things? Not really. I mean, I thought it might be nice to be in a group where you're working towards something. Yeah. That that part would be nice. You know, maybe you don't have a lot of outside influence on you and you're just all like one, like a big happy family. Yeah, but it's so but. not reality. Because even like your family is not that happy all the time, really. No, you know, no. like in your imagination, you always think it's going to be oh, so great. Yeah. But because I, I had a friend that talked about that a little bit, like it would be cool to get a neighborhood and then we all built a house on that neighborhood because we all kind of think alike and have the same values and all that. But it, you know, that's how these start. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it sounds all nice. And then um, I've never wanted to join a commune because I'm not 
I'm not, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm introverted or whatever. I don't want to be around people that much. That's too much people time for me. Yeah. Like I'm like, I feel people out. like just thinking about camp, like summer camp or something. So, and I imagine it's a lot like summer camp. Yeah. Like everyone's probably, probably. sleeping in a big room. You know, you're never alone. Well, it's when they start taking you in your individuality away. Yeah, that part too. Yeah, I think that's probably the beginning of the indoctrination. If you know, we're one big happy. Yeah, group. we all one think group. the same about everything and like the same things and do the yeah. same things. It's like communism and yeah, you know, socialism to some extent. Both of them, you yeah. Know, that. Well, it's like any extreme is too much. Yeah. You know, it's the I mean, even like, I think in our country, we're getting a little, our capitalism's gotten a little extreme and it's, we're starting to have some ramifications for that. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not starting. We probably had it for a while, but, oh, wow. you know, any of these kind of ideas, they, it's like they start off good and they would be, but moderation, we got to have some moderation. Yes. Accountability. Yeah. Accountability. It's got to be transparent. Yeah. So, and, but it, it is kind of disturbing to me how many of these cults do kind of get a pass from the government or whatever. Like they get to break a lot of rules. Well, because of the, the, nonprofit status. Yeah. And it, in in their nonprofit, is supposed to be for the good of everybody. Yeah. You know, it's supposed, it's supposed to, to help. be to help people, and they start off that way. And it sounds good, but then they, you know, there's always somebody at the top that's... some. There's greed in there there's somewhere. There's greed, yeah. Once yeah. the greed starts taking over the power, they want the power. Yeah. I mean, because talking about the Ant Hill kids, um, there wasn't a lot of money. The money wasn't in there, but the power was there. Yeah. They yeah. Didn't, there's different kinds of power, I guess. Yeah. This was power over individuals. Yeah. Just for the sake of it, whereas... Yeah, there's no point, really. (laughs) Yeah, no point, whereas I I can understand this guy, you know, he starts off helping people, the Sinanon guy, he starts off helping people, but then, you know, they work towards, oh, let's, let's, you know, we get nonprofit, we, we start building things, oh, that's good, you know, now we can take care of ourselves, we... Yeah, we're self-sufficient, self-reliant. We can make a little more money here, you know, and I can... I can have gold faucets or whatever the heck he, yeah, he wanted to do. Yeah, whatever they need. He wanted. Or want, I should say. Yeah, yeah so it, that's where it became the greed overcame the the um, the people, the people yeah. and, the, and the production of, of health and well-being. Yeah, it's yeah, weird. It's more of his well-being, not theirs. Right. So. And I didn't even really learn a lot about him so much through my reading where some of the cults you learn more about like you know they did have gold faucets or they had you know there's that one guy on wild wild country i think that had like 12 rolls royces or something ridiculous you yeah. know i don't even really know what what this guy was after yeah so it's kind of interesting and strange but i'm glad i'm not in a cult knock on wood i don't want to get in one no <laughs> don't let me slip into a cult well a lot of them it, it is a part of not having um good self esteem is the basic thing i guess probably well then i have that sometimes i'm like i don't feel like i have very good self esteem 
what if I get into a cult? <laughs> well, we won't let you do that. You're too busy. <laughs> I'm too busy. I'm too busy to join a cult. Yeah. I don't have time for you. My kids are like my, I'm, I'm like in the family cult where I have to work for no pay. Yeah. <laughs> get me a, a drink. Take me lunch. But. Yeah. So, well, I guess that's about it. So I'm sure you've learned a little bit about cults. Or these two particular cults, anyway. Yeah. Well, I still can't get over the anthill. I want to say gang, too. I know, know? like the Apple Dumpling Gang. That's not what I... Anthill Kids sounds like, you know, more about kids and having fun. Yeah, it kind of sounds cute. Like, you might name a daycare of that or something. (laughs) But, ooh, it's so creepy. One of the most horrible, creepiest... Ugh, that one's going to haunt me. Yeah. You know, it's it's horrible to think that this stuff goes on still in this day and age. I know. You know, so. Well. Anyway, I guess we better. We'll wrap this up. Wrap this up. Yeah, so uh, if you, uh, if you get a chance, recommend our podcast to one of your friends and um, maybe we'll get some more listeners and if you can share it or like it, follow it, our podcast on wherever you listen to your podcasts. And, um, yeah, say hi to us. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Pod. And you can also email us at GuardyLoupod at, at gmail.com. Yeah. yeah. Let us know what you think. Yeah. I don't know what our next topic is. I don't think we've picked it yet. No, not yet. Have we'll have to, to talk that. about that. Yeah. Hopefully Maybe something, something not good. so creepy. <laughs> I know. Every time we do something creepy, we need a little uh, de-creepy oh, break. yeah. I had to have a break from that. It was Like, I need to go eat horrible. some candy, roll around with some stuffed animals. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Just something all like Care Bear Rainbow Share. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway. Bye. That's it. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Got Loo!